All right, so we're continuing in the Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 22. It's 31 verses, so last week was 6 and it was about an hour, so today that means it's about 4 hours. No, I'm kidding. We're going to break it up into sections and cover those sections as whole, so it will hopefully go quicker. Psalm 22 is a really important psalm. It's quoted over 20 times in the New Testament and all in reference to prophecies concerning Jesus. Some of them we're going to see and you're going to be like, oh yeah, I knew that one. right? They're going to be obvious. Others are not going to be so obvious. I'll point out some of them. It's real easy to get caught up in the prophetic stuff that's here and miss what's really, I don't want to say important, but it, it right? our connection to the psalm. Because Psalm 22 Though it has prophetic realities to it, David wrote Psalm 22 from his heart as he was depressed in anguish, right, suffering from anxiety. And so when we look at Psalm 22, everyone here at some point in time has been depressed, suffered from anxiety, had loss in their lives, right? And Psalm 22 gives us at the end a prescription on how to deal with those things. And so Psalm 22 is really important for us. And what's beautiful about it is, the great part of Psalm 22 is we know Jesus suffered just like this. Right? All these things that we're going to connect with, with David, Jesus is connected with in the New Testament for us as well. Right? So Jesus suffered just as we have. And because of that, right, the scriptures say he can be our high priest and he understands. Right? And so he can worship or he can minister to us and he can care for us because of that. So let me go over some kind of background to the psalm. There are three different elements we're going to find in Psalm 22, right? So there are different types of psalms out there. This actually contains three different styles of psalm, all within the one. Uh, usually there's only a couple that are there. This has three. The first one that we're going to start with is what's called a lament. And what a lament is, right, or you'll hear it called a lamentation, is that woe is me thing, right? That's where we're crying out to the Lord. We're depressed. It's bad. God, you don't seem to be listening. Where are you at? Don't you see what I'm going through? That's the lament. The other thing we're going to see in Psalm 22 is the prophetic that I've already mentioned. The other piece of this puzzle that we're going to see at the end of Psalm 22 is what's called apocalyptic right? Um, apocalyptic literature, we tend to think of as like Revelation, the, oh my goodness, hold on tight because it's going to get really bad. But that's not all that apocalyptic is because after the bad comes the really good. And that's what this apocalyptic is pointing towards. So we're going to get that in here as well. So the three sections that I mentioned, the structure of Psalm 22 is an introduction in verse 1. And then what we're going to get in verses 2 through 11 is the author, David, talking about the silence and the absence of God in his life, or at least what it appears to be, the silence and absence of God. The second part is attacks by enemies that he's feeling. And then it ends with promise to praise from David. Right? And that's the part that is for us really important. We're going to connect with the rest of it, but that last part 
is the part where we really kind of need to hang out and see where to go with this so that when we're experiencing these things that David is, right, when we feel depressed, when we're anxious, what does David do to fix that? How do we overcome anxiety and depression in our lives? How do we deal with those things? So let's start with verse 1. It's the easiest place to start. Psalm 22.1 reads, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Right. So Jesus quotes this while he's on the cross. And in Matthew 27, 46, he says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which is Aramaic, uh, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he quotes Psalm 22. And the reason he quoted Psalm 22, I believe, is that the people during this time, the Hebrews, used Psalm 22 a lot in their own lives when they were feeling apart and not near to God. Right? And at this point in the history of Israel, it had been a few hundred years since any of the prophets had spoken. So, Israel as a whole was starting to feel like God had forgotten them. And then comes Jesus. Of course, they rejected him in the end, but right after he says this, verse 15, we read, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit and he died. <clears throat> so Jesus was tortured on the cross, spit upon, mocked, beaten, and died for our sins that we might be forgiven. And all of this is going to be seen in Psalm 22. It's just really cool stuff. So let's look at this first section that's really important, the silence and absence of God. So David writes, <clears throat> My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By, not, by night, but I find no rest. I'm going to read through this and then we'll kind of go back through it. Yet you are, enthroned as, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In, our, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. All right, so I want to go back and look at these. Because that next part is different. So he begins and he says, My God, I cry out by day. You do not answer by night, but I find no rest. So God is silent, right? I don't know how many times I've experienced, right? Particularly during those times of darkness, depression, anxiety about what's coming next. It seems God oftentimes doesn't answer during those times, it feels. Right. When we're at our lowest, I think sometimes it's harder for us to hear. But I think oftentimes God actually chooses not to speak, which may sound really odd. But the reason for that is because he's already spoken. Right? So he says here, my God, I cry out by day. You don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. And so he feels forsaken. But then he says, 
<coughs> You're enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. And what he's really saying is, look, they did this. I'm doing the same thing. Where's my deliverance? To you they cried out and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And he's saying, look, I've done all of these same things. I know this is how you work. I'm crying out to you and I feel as though you've abandoned me. He knows better, but he's being honest with God and saying, this is how I feel right now with our relationship. He continues in verses six through eight, and he says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hear insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. So this is a piece of that prophetic part, right? So he's so depressed, he's so down, he feels less than human. He feels subhuman, right? I don't know how much lower you get than a worm. And he says, this is how I feel. Because everyone scorns me. I'm despised by all the people, right? This is his heart. This is where he's coming from. Was it the truth of David, the king of Israel? Not everyone was scorning him. Not everyone was mocking him. Not everyone despised him. The problem is when we're depressed and anxiety takes over in our lives, we have a tendency to believe things that are not true about ourselves. Right? Satan will take advantage of that. Satan will speak those lies, lies into our lives and we have to resist them. Right? Because it makes us feel less than human at times. Right? And we will begin to believe that people don't like us when it's just not true. Right? We will begin to believe that everyone is out to get us. The truth may be there may be some out there doing that. But it's not everyone. Right? It's never as excessive as where our minds have a tendency to take us. You can introduce, and he says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. This is all about Jesus. This is all quoted about Christ. He trusts in the Lord, right? They said this of Christ. He trusts in God. Let God take him off that cross. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And the beauty is, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, right? at the moment, God may be saying, the answer to your prayer is wait. Not now. Rescue is coming. So then we get this kind of sub-story, I guess you might say, right? There's, he's complained about all this stuff, and now he's going to go on to this, and he's, he's going to explain to God, kind of, 
the relationship he feels with the Lord. And he's going to use this as his birth story to describe this. And so in verses 9 and 10, David says, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Too far. So it says, you, you brought me out of the womb. Not that God knit him in the womb and caused him to be born, right? That's not what he's meaning. This is kind of like, oh, my mind went blank. The, can't think of what they call her, that helps with births. A midwife, right? The midwife who catches the child as it's being born, right? Without the midwife there, the baby could suffer and die. The midwife is really important. That's what's being, the picture that's being brought here, right? And he's saying, you made me trust in you. Why? Because he was trustworthy. That when he was born, God was there. God was present at his birth. God took him to his mother's breast, he's saying. You made sure I was taken care of. I was fed. I had everything I need. From birth, I was cast upon you, right? As he came from the womb, he was the Lord's. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. So it's the whole of his life, the entirety of his life, David knew nothing other than a relationship with God. And he's saying, this is my relationship with you. And yet I look around, and right now I feel like you're not here. You've taken a break on me. And I don't know where you're at. Not that it's true, right? But that's David being honest with his emotions with God. We have a tendency, I believe as Christians, to be fearful to do that. To let God know how we really feel at the moment. To say, God, I have doubts about where we're at in our relationship. David was very honest. right? He doesn't say, God, I've forsaken you. He says, no, God, I feel like you have forsaken me. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out to the Father. Why have you forsaken me? In that moment. As he's dying, as all of the sin of the world is being pressed upon him, and God is pouring out all his wrath upon him, Jesus feels forsaken by the Father, knowing he is going to be die. He is going to die. He is going to be killed. He is going to be separated by death from the Father for three days. Jesus knows full well. He is going to be resurrected. But as though, see, Jesus is 100% human, right? And 100% God. And in his humanity, he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you allow such pain upon me? Jesus himself cried out like this. He was honest with the Father where he was at, emotionally, with his relationship with God. continues in verse 11 he finishes this section and he says do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help right and this is where we oftentimes find ourselves because of depression because of anxiety it's not usually true right that there's when trouble's near there's no one to help <coughs> almost 
always there are those who are close to us that would be willing to help if we simply spoke. Right? But we don't. And I think God is saying, I'm not because I want you to speak to others. Reach out and then I'll work through them. So now we're going to enter into the second section of this psalm, which is where we see the attacks by enemies. And here David is going to use some illusion, right? So he's not going to talk about people. He's going to use animals to represent those who are attacking him. And what he's going to do is he's going to use a pattern, what's called a chiasm, right? And a chiastic structure, what that is, is it builds kind of a bridge with something important in the middle. It's not quite in the middle here, but it's close. And what he's going to do is he's going to talk about bulls. Then he's going to talk about lions. And then we're going to get what's important. Then he's going to talk about dogs, right? But the, the stepping stones for this structure are is bulls, lions, and dogs. And then he's going to reverse that, right? And so it's going to match across. So then he's going to talk about dogs, lions, and oxen. So he's using beasts of burden, right, as that last piece. And so what a structure like that would be is usually they represent it as A, B, C. They can be thoughts. They can be concepts. They can be same words, right? It was a Hebrew way of writing poetry that when you see it is really cool because the author is able to take mirror points throughout this to build to what's important and let it stand on its own then, right? And that was what David has done here. He's created this structure and it's called a chiasm. Right? And it builds to a point. So let's look at this so you can see that. So it starts in verse 12. And he says, Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Remember, it's not about bulls, right? Bulls haven't actually surrounded him. He's feeling like his enemies are doing this. He's talking about people, not the animals. He's using the animals simply to represent people and what they're doing. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. So this is the beginning of this chiasm. Now he's going to put the main, the really important part, which is odd. Then he's going to do the dogs part, right? Usually it would be the dogs and then the important part. David got a little off the chiastic structure, but it's okay. We can see it. So then in verses 14 and 15, he writes, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. So all of this is happening from his enemies, right? And when people attack us, when people say things that are inappropriate, right? It may, those words hurt. Right? The old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is the worst lie we teach kids. Right? Words are the most destructive thing in the world. They really are. They reach down into a person's soul and psyche and can twist it. Right? James says the tongue is like fire. Right? And the truth is the tongue as a muscle per square inch is the strongest muscle in the human body. It doesn't need to be. We don't ever do heavy lifting, lifting with it. 
right? But it is. And I think that was God saying, you need to recognize the power that you have in your tongue and the words that you speak to others because they're important. Because when you attack, which is what's happening here, right? These lions are tearing him apart. These are words, right? They're opening their mouths. These are words that are being used against David that are painful, they're hurtful, right? What was it like for Christ as he went before Pontius? And Pontius recognized almost who he was, right? Pontius writes on there, he's the king of the Jews on his cross. Pontius recognizes him for who he is, it seems. And then the Jews hurl these insults against him. Those whom he specifically came to save. He came to the Jews first and foremost. And they rejected him. And they said, mean, spiteful. They called, right? They, there was an assassin, a murderer, and Jesus. And they asked the people, who should we kill? And they said, free Barabbas. We want Jesus on the cross. I can't imagine the pain that he felt, right? And when Jesus is praying in the garden, Gethsemane, the night before his death, says the anxiety was so overwhelming for him that he bled from his eyes. This is a known reality, right? Severe anxiety can actually cause that to occur. And so David is writing this section here, verses 14 through 15, and saying, look, this is how I feel right now. When I'm depressed, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Think when you see the graphic picture of a, usually it's a man for whatever reason, in a presentation about a depressed person, right? They're never standing up straight, right? Their bones are out of joint. They're slumped over, chest is withdrawn, right? Their head is down, shoulders are down. Everything about them is as though they were water and their bones were out of joint and they're ready to just fall over and be poured out upon the ground, right? And the truth is, that's how you feel when you're really depressed. You have no strength. Everything in you just simply wants to fall into the dust. It says, my heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. He has no courage. He doesn't have the courage or the strength to stand up for himself when he's depressed. And that's true for all of us, right? It takes courage when you're facing anxiety and people using words in a way that cut deeply into the soul. It takes massive amounts of internal courage to stand in the face of those and stand tall. It takes strength beyond measure to do that and to do it well. Right? And David says, my heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the root of my mouth. He has cotton mouth, right? His mouth is dry. So if, his, if he's lost courage and he's lost strength, when you lose strength, what's the one thing you gain strength from is food. If you've ever been depressed, you know the last thing you want to do is eat, 
you stop eating oftentimes, right? When you're when you have cotton mouth, you can't eat. When your mouth is really dry, you're not able to eat. And that's what he's saying. I can't gain the strength I need because I can't even put it in my mouth. I can't take the steps I need in order to rescue me. And so I need you to be my rescuer. <laughs> that's great. And this is what he feels like, right? Because God's not rescuing him. Because God hasn't come through for him. He says, you, my God, you lay me in the dust of death. Because of all of this, I feel like the next thing, perhaps the best thing for me, is simply death. Depression, anxiety, carry a heavy toll upon us. Verse 16, he's going to talk about the dogs. And he's going to finish the section and then back it out of here. He says, The dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Hmm. Wonder who that's a reference to. Right? David's hands and feet were never pierced. But that's what he feels like, right? He feels like the dogs have bitten at his hands and feet and they're pierced by their teeth. Because that's what the words do, right? The, the words that these men are using against David are like knives that pierce him. How about nails that pierce his hands and feet? Right? This is again prophetic of Christ. He continues and he says, all my bones are on display. People stare. They gloat over me. Sure. David's bones were not on display. Right? He was not skin and bones. However, Jesus, after being struck by a cat of nine tails, I don't know if anyone has seen the passion. I suspect most of us have. Right? It's a very real representation of what would have happened his bones would have been visible across his back. And what did people do? They rescued him, right? Nope. They chose to stare and to gloat over his pain and his suffering. And then they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Right? David never had this happen. This is all prophetic about Christ. Christ suffered all of Psalm 22. He suffered no differently than we did. And he overcame that suffering. And he cries out again. He says, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me, because he lacks the strength. Deliver me from the sword. He feels like he's going to die. Now, there were times during David's life, the sword was a reality, right? So this may have been true. <laughs> Sorry, dear. That's okay. He cries out to God and says, Deliver my precious life from the power of the dogs. 
Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And so he's asking him, deliver me from my enemies. My enemies have come round and they seem to be winning. I'm losing the battle. I don't have the strength to fight and I need your strength. And David's going to wrap this up in the next several verses here. In verse 22, he's going to write, I will, right, future tense all of a sudden, right? Because in the midst of it, it's hard to do these things. But this is what we need to do. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. When we're depressed, when we're facing anxiety, the first thing we need to do is go to the assembly, the church. And we need to praise God. We need to worship Him as one people. Right? We need to seek the encouragement of others. We need to seek the strength God gives to each of us through one another. Our strength comes from each other. God fills each one of us with the Holy Spirit. He blesses us with that, that it would overflow into the lives of each other. You who fear the Lord. So fear the Lord, right? Old Testament phrase that we see a lot. These are who followed the Lord. They, they had a healthy respect for God. right? And he's going to give them three commands here. He says, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. I'm going to change this. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. Right. So we need to praise him, we need to honor him, and we need to revere him. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Who's the afflicted one here? It's Jesus, right? But we're that afflicted one at times as well. We fit in that story no different than Christ did. Here's a really important thing that we have to see. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. I have heard a lot of people say that on the cross, when Jesus was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because God turned his back on his son. Right? Um, that's a father pouring out discipline for sin on his son. Now, granted, sin his son didn't commit. It's our sin. But no father disciplines his son from afar without looking into his eyes. A father loves his son so much that when he dispenses discipline on him, he does it face to face. God poured out his wrath on his son for our sin. His son, the afflicted one, face to face. He listened to his cry for help. He didn't turn his back on his son. Jesus felt forsaken because he knew in that moment, sin, our sin, was going to cause him 
to experience three days of separation and death from the Father. And it was more than he could bear. But God is always there, right? He has never hidden his face from us. He is always listening to our cries for help. From you come the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Right? So this is the, the this phrase is really interesting because it says, the theme of my praise, what it is that I sing praises to, those concepts, those ideas, don't come from me. They come from the <laughs> Lord. Right? As the Lord rescues us, as he saves us, right? That's where the the psalm that says, you put a new song in me, right? That's what this is talking about, right? David understood this better than I ever would because I'm not a songwriter. I don't write poetry. I'm, that's not me, right? But David recognized this because if you look at a lot of the Psalms, David was depressed a lot. I have a suspicion that he suffered from uh, manic depression because he was depressed. You read a lot of the Psalms. They're very depressed many of them. And then by the end of the psalm, all of a sudden he's jumping for joy and praising God. Right? Um, now, a lot of that, to be honest, he brought upon himself. And we can see that in the way he lived his life. But I do believe he suffered with depression a lot. And he had states in his life that were very similar to what someone who was a manic would be could be wrong I'm just guessing but man there are telltale signs and he's saying here though he says look the themes of my praise are the works you do in my life and in the church in the great assembly I'll sing those before those who fear you I will fulfill my vows and his vow is here I will praise the Lord I will praise you I will honor you and I will revere you and he's going to keep that vow to do that. Because he recognizes, right, in, for instance, Psalm 13 starts very similar to this. And by the end of it, he's saying, I will teach others to sing these praises. Because he recognizes after he's gone through this, there's someone else going through it. And all that he went through is a story God built in his life to share with someone else. So that they can be encouraged knowing that even though you're going through it, God's with you. And he'll see you through it. He will rescue you. He will save you. He will deliver you. Right? And so he's going to keep his vow to encourage others who are experiencing what he is experiencing. <coughs> now we're going to get into the apocalyptic part of this, right? The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. It's all future tense. May your hearts live forever. Our hope isn't in the present, our greatest hope is in what is yet to come. And so sometimes the strength to simply get through tomorrow is the hope we have that Jesus will not simply save us from the present, but save us to a future that is fantastic beyond belief. The poor will eat and they will be satisfied. They will no longer be hungry. No one will go without. Those who seek the Lord will praise Him because those who seek Him Will have eternal lives with him so he says may your hearts live forever 
all the ends of the earth. Right? So everyone will remember and turn to the <coughs> Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. This is fulfillment of Genesis 12, verses 1-3, through 3, where He says He'll bless the nations through Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, which was Jesus, and all the nations. And really the word there is families. And all the families of the nations. God's not saving a nation. right? God goes into the nation and then goes into people groups and then goes into families and he goes into homes and he saves families. He saves individuals. He seeks what's best for the family. At the heart of God is the family. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Right, so this is, again, apocalyptic. Psalm 2, 8-9 through 9 is where this concept is coming from. David wrote this. He said, ask me. Right, and he's speaking, this is speaking from God to the Son. We take this as David. But ultimately, it's the Father speaking to Christ. And he says, ask me and I will give, make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Jesus is going to one day rule as king. The Jews hoped he was coming as the Messiah, as king, when he first came. And he came as a suffering servant. That's why they rejected him. But he's going to return one day. And when he does, he will rule with a rod of iron. And those who reject him, it says will be dashed to pieces like pottery. But those who fear him, those who accept him, those who believe in him, have faith in him, will be saved from them. We'll experience Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, right, that I mentioned earlier. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, that word should be translated as families. It's a better translation of that word. All families on earth will be blessed through you. <clears throat> Jesus is the fulfillment of every verse of the Old Testament. He continues to the end and he says, All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, not just the poor, the rich, the poor. Right? We'll all have all that we need. We'll all worship together as one. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. People who die. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. God has fulfilled all of his words. Right. <clears throat> and that's where our hope, right? It's just like when Christ was on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. Yet again, another reference to this, right? He has done it. What he has promised will be done. And that's where our hope is. And when we're experiencing depression or anxiety or fear, Right? We have to remember those times 
when God has always been there for us. We have to remember to enter into the congregation, to come and assemble together. All right, so how do we fight depression? How do we fight anxiety in our lives? First thing, we go to church. All right? We gather together with the assembly. We praise Jesus. We honor Jesus and we revere him. And when we do these things, God will fill us with his spirit and he will bless us and he will save us and he will redeem us. And when we're through that and when we're together as a people, we're then able to go to those who are experiencing depression, either from a loss of a friend or a family member, right? We've all, everyone here has experienced loss in one way or another. Loss of a job. Those things cause depression. They cause anxiety. They cause uncertainty. They cause fear. We have to come together as the body of Christ so that the hand can minister to the knee. Right? So that the knee can lift the foot so that we can be one and that the one can become whole and be healed in the power of Christ as Jesus fills us and fulfills his promise to the church that we are his bride and he will make his bride perfect. 